I'm here, you're there, but I'm glad that we get to have church anyway. I was just struggling with uh, tiredness, and this week has just been kind of funny, and I uh, there's a lot of sickness going around. Uh, a lot of churches that I know are struggling with sickness, and um, uh, so I just wanted to keep everybody safe, and so we'll do church this way. It's very good for us to assemble together and as best as we can, so... Um, uh, God's been very good to us. I've watched the last two years. Haven't you just been amazed? I mean, God's been very good to us. So we're not going to complain, not at all. Now, if you notice in our memory verse, our memory verse is, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We got that in Acts 6.4. Now, the, the amazing thing is that's spoken by the apostles. And why they said that they, they got that desire to give themselves, to dedicate themselves to prayer. Now, a lot of people give, dedicate themselves to making themselves wealthy. They dedicate themselves to, uh, you know, getting a good name or a, a famous name, you know, <clears throat> writing a hit song or uh, being a lead and star in a music or, uh, or in a movie or whatever. Uh, people... They, they, they dedicate themselves to a cause or to a desire. But these guys dedicated themselves to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, where'd they get that from? What caused them to want to think about those two things as their life? And you need to go to uh, Luke chapter uh, 6, and I'll show you where they got it from. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And I think this is absolutely amazing here. <clears throat> this is Jesus. The night before he chooses, out of all his disciples, he chooses 12 of them to be his apostles. So Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says this. And it came to pass. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Sort of that word, continued all night in prayer to God. Verse 13, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. And he goes through all those names there, all right? But what do you think uh, he was doing that night? I mean, it says that he was praying, all right? Well, uh, you know, think about just very, just very simply, he took a step away from everybody. He went up into a mountain, it says, and he spent the entire night praying. I mean, the Son of God spent an eight, nine, ten hours in prayer to God. What's he doing all that time? I got to ponder it and thinking about it. He was not doing 200,000 Hail Marys and Our Fathers, that's for sure. That's not prayer. That's repetition. And God doesn't listen to that. As a matter of fact, it's an abomination to God doesn't doesn't help your your uh, uh, your request because you're not making a request he was fellowshipping with God he was uh, spending time just talking with God he was worshiping his father uh, you should read John chapter 17 and see and and read Jesus worshiping and glorifying his father you'll read of great worship in John 17. He was seeking help from his father. Remember, Jesus was living as a man. 
And like us, he was totally dependent upon God for everything he needed. Let me say that again. Even though he's God, he stepped down into this world and he became a man. And as a man, he needed help. And so where did he turn to? He didn't turn to the government. He turned to his father. And he was totally dependent upon God for everything he needed. And I mean everything. You know what he was doing? He was praying for others. What was he doing that long night while he was praying? He was praying for others, including his enemies. <clears throat> One of those 12 that he chose was Judas, who was going to turn against him and going to actually uh, cause him to be murdered and tortured. He was praying for his enemies. So I guess, I guess you'd have to admit he had a very long list of people he prayed for that night. And there was one time, a little later in his life, when he even wrestled in prayer there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wrestled with the will of God. You see, there are a lot of things that should go on while we pray, and it may take a little while. So when you take two minutes to pray or three minutes to pray, have you prayed? Well, let's look at the Lord Jesus' prayer life this morning, uh, the time that he spent with God, and let it motivate us while we start in prayer ourselves now. Father, we ask that you would bless our, our time, uh, Lord, in your word. And I pray you bless our hearts with <clears throat> a desire that we would commit ourselves also to a life that is given to continually prayer and to the ministry of the word. You gave us opportunity to fellowship with you. and You also gave us the work of the ministry. We know what's more important now. We know it's prayer. So, Lord, uh, sometimes it's hard enough to motivate people to do something for you. How much harder it is to get people to spend time with you. So, Lord, help me. Help us all to want to pray like Jesus did. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> now we're going to be mainly looking at the Gospel of Luke which up around a couple of different places. There wasn't just one place. When I started to think of this is a two-part message today and then next Sunday. And um, when I started to look at the different places where God shows us prayer, you can look at the life of Daniel. And it's a, he was a great man of prayer. You can look at Moses, great man of prayer. You can look at David, just a constant life of prayer. But each one of them, I, I guess I just wanted to look at Jesus. And I wanted to see... This is the life that motivates me to want to pray and want to pray like he did. So let's look at some of the aspects of the life of prayer that Jesus had. Go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to spend a lot of time in Luke. <clears throat> we'll end up in a couple of different other places at the end. But Luke chapter 5 and verse 15, one page back, Luke 5, 15 and 16. But so much some more. Now, Jesus has been doing some healing and some people had been cast out, uh, uh, demons uh, of their lives, and uh, the Pharisees had been um, uh, rebuked, and there were just great things going on. But so much the more went there out of fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he's pretty popular. Verse 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness, and prayed. Now, that's a mark of maturity. That's a mark of character, that when he was becoming popular, he didn't seek it more. 
he pulled back and he says, I need to pray more. So in the midst of great popularity, he prayed. Go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. <clears throat> Luke 9, 18. I'm going to use my glasses for some reason. It's kind of Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. Right? And I want you to get the idea. His disciples are nearby him. And after he got a coal in there and it says, and after a while, he, he asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? Now just get the eye. He's in the company of his disciples he, he's with them, they're, they're fixing lunch, or they're, um, they're, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing, and he stops and he walks away from them and he starts praying. So they wait on him, and then he comes back to him and he asks him a question. But in the midst of everybody, he says, I need to go and pray. So when he's in big crowds, when he's in little crowds, he steps away and he knows it's more important than them is my time with God. <clears throat> Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 now. Still in the same chapter, I believe. Yes, verse, verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these things, after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. So when he was on top of a mountain, he wanted to pray. Okay, when he was in the garden, he wanted to pray. You find Jesus in all kinds of situations, and this doesn't list all the times. John says, the Gospel of John says, if, you, they, if somebody tried to write down all that Jesus did and what he said, and the world couldn't contain all the books. <clears throat> but the key ones are important here. That he says, it's time to pray up on that mountain there, and it turned out to be the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus prayed so often and got so many answers to prayer that his disciples finally asked him to teach them how to pray. It's kind of funny. It took until Luke chapter 11. You say this kind of kind of long stretch there. Well, some people are a little dense. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it came to pass that, he that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, <clears throat> as John also taught his disciples. So as busy, as busy as Jesus was, praying was a way of life for him. It was a natural activity going on constantly, kind of like breathing. You don't even think about it, do you? You breathe. It's just natural. Prayer was a natural activity for Jesus. It was also a priority activity, just like breathing is. Try and stop breathing for more than two minutes, and you'll start panicking. I mean, how... how Priority is prayer, and that'll be more next week, but, but think about it. Uh, for Jesus, it was natural to pray. It was priority. Now, it comes out of a love for God. Go, go back to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Jesus and his father had such a close relationship, you'd expect it, but it was our example. Uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. And it came to, we just read these, but I want you to see. And it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took James, Peter and James and John and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, verse 29, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. So we call this the mountain transfiguration. 
But I want you to jump down to uh, verse 34. <clears throat> now, Peter's been talking. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. This was no normal cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my, not just my son, but my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, I didn't say that there. Sorry, I just think of the other times. She said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Now, when he says that, he's testifying. God is testifying that I and my son have a great relationship. He's my beloved son. I love him and he loves me. Now, even though Jesus and God the Father were separated at this point, as a man, he was separated from God. Jesus still took the time to draw nigh to God through prayer. A lot of people think that that made him not deity. That doesn't make him not deity. It just makes him human. So the human part of him loved God. And that's, that's what we're missing. We're trying to, so many times I try to analyze things. I try to think about things. I try to understand things, which is a good thing. But in the end, I have to look at Jesus and say, all right, what, what is really going on here? And what was going on was there was a love relationship. There was a heart-to-heart -heart relationship between the Father and the Son. Uh, you know, it, isn't there anybody that you want to be with? I mean, the people that you love, you want to be with. You want to spend time with. And uh, even if you can't be with them, at least you'd like to talk to them. Think about the 20th century. In, in the late 19th century, they, they came up with a thing called telegraph and then the... Uh, um, the, the telephone. Now we have video and video phones and all of this stuff. But just think about it. For most of the time, when somebody left, they were gone. You had to write them a letter. And it took a month for it to get somewhere and a month to come back and stuff. It, you, you wish you could be with them. Well, we're at a time where you can, you can text somebody, you can phone somebody, you can just hear their voice. And it just blesses you because you want to spend time with them, even if it's just by a text, or by a phone call. Well, that's what prayer is. Prayer is you spend a time with somebody you love, and you're not physically present with them. Now, that'll be heaven. But, but, but until then, you get to read God's text, it's a Bible, and you get to talk to him in prayer. Um, you know, God seeks two things. I wrote this down. I said, God seeks two things, our hearts, and only our hearts. What do I mean by that? Well, it, it, God wants to know, do you love him? The greatest commandment is to love God. And the only way you'll be able to show that God has your affection is if you want to spend time with him in quiet prayer. So the third thought I had here was that Jesus is our example to follow. Now, I'm not, I haven't said anything that's spectacular, but I'm saying something that's necessary. Jesus is our example to follow. I admire a man who can who can pray all night. Um, uh, you know, it, when you think about Jesus, um, when you think about Jesus, you uh, you understand that um, everything uh, everything Jesus prayed for, he got. Everything he prayed for, he got. He is our example to emulate, to actually pray like he did. None of what Jesus did in his life was done without prayer. <clears throat> now that's, 
you know, in this day and age, most everything that we try to do, we do with training. We try to do it and we try to get trained to do it. And that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being trained to do a trade or to do a job or everything we do, we, we prepare for. But everything Jesus did, he did by prayer. And that's kind of convicting. He spent time with God. Now, the same will be true for us. Nothing good is going to be accomplished without prayer. So my conclusion, I'm not finished yet, but the thing that I conclude is that we need to prayer. Go to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Luke 18. Luke 18, 1. Luke 18, 1. And he spake a parable unto men, I'm sorry, unto them to this end, <clears throat> that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So my desire for us as a church is that we pray more than we do anything else. To always pray and never quit. Uh, I love my family. I have always enjoyed hard work. I love being busy. I love soul winning. I'm passionate about preaching. I love studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. I love fellowshipping with other believers. And I so enjoy the singing of hymns and gospel music, but of everything that we do, everything that we attempt to do, our prayer life is the most important. Of all the things that we attempt to do, our prayer life is most important. You and me, we need to pray. We need to pray about everything, big and small. And, and no matter how long someone is taken to get saved, no matter how hard something is, to be answered by God, no matter how impossible, we should never quit praying about anything or anyone. So let me talk to you about six things that, that Jesus teaches us about what it means to pray. As I already said at the beginning, it means fellowshipping with God. That's the first thing. If you want to know what prayer is, prayer is fellowshipping with God. The disciples got to spend three and a half years with almost day and, day and night with Jesus. They got to listen to him. They got to watch him. They got to walk with him. They got to ask him questions, got to listen to him teach. They were with him for three and a half years. I mean, it's almost nonstop, and then he's gone. Now, what are they going to do? I mean, do they just switch off? Does everything just go back to normal? There's no normal anymore. So what do they get to do? They get to pray. It's it's them re returning to that that time of fellowship that they used to have with God, with Jesus. And that's what prayer is for us. Prayer is fellowship with God. You know, we have been invited into a family relationship with Jesus. That's what fellowship means. It is offering us a consistent time. It's, there's no time you can't go and talk to him. You know, there, there are times where you're not supposed to phone me, okay, unless it's an emergency. Uh, but there, there, uh, there's no time you can't talk and fellowship with God. A consistent time of just talking with God. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 I think this is a marvelous uh, statement here, a marvelous invitation. 
1 Corinthians 1 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called, invited unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been invited into his presence. I mean, <clears throat> there's nobody more important than him. I don't care if it's Michal Martin or if it's uh, President Biden or if it's Boris Johnson or anybody on this planet, the Queen of England herself, anybody invites you into their presence, you probably would take it seriously and go, I wonder if I should go. <laughs> I, I, better, I better make the time. But if you've been invited into the fellowship, into a family relationship with God, you've been invited into this relationship, fellowship. What a priceless thing. Now, I'm not saying that you don't pray. Okay, don't get the don't get the wrong idea. Even atheists pray. You better own up to that. But I am saying that you probably don't fellowship with God. You probably don't experience the presence of God when you pray. When you just start talking to God, when you just start sharing your heart to his heart, there's something that happens. There's something that that just that just changes it from from the mundane and the here and now where you step off into the kingdom of God and you step off into, into a, a whole nother place. It's called the throne of God. Now, uh, developing an ever deeper companionship with him is the goal. It's called communion or at oneness. You ever, you ever seen, there are usually two kinds of couples in a restaurant, all right? Uh, at one table, you'll see a husband and wife there or a couple there, and uh, they're basically saying almost nothing to each other. Uh, they're not close, and uh, they don't talk. And it's because probably they don't know how to share their lives and their thoughts and their dreams and their sorrows. So they just sit there quietly eating their dinner. And then over another table, you'll see another husband and wife, and they're talking. And they're close, and they're enjoying each other's company and conversation. And because they do that, they are always drawing closer with each word and with each sharing. One relationship's growing colder and colder, and the other is more fresh and vibrant than ever. That's how our relationship with God is. Either we're staying silent, and we're drawing away, or we're talking, and we're listening and we're engaging, and we're fellowshipping, and it's and it's and it's growing in us. So uh, now I know there are times when we're busy and we're working, but you'll always, you know, if you go, if you got, if you got a relationship that you want to be in and you want to uh, have um, at your home, then rush home after work. Don't don't delay and don't sit there and 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 uh, wait to come home because you want to be with the people you love and if you keep delaying to spend time in prayer then then you're hurting yourself you see uh I'll take you another one john chapter 17 gospel of john chapter 17 jesus prayed that this type of of closeness would be what we would have john chapter 17 and verse 21. John 17, 21 says, <clears throat> 
John 17, 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That's the circle words. That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Uh, one of the one of the great effects of your prayer life is the world will see a Christian who is close to God, who walks with Jesus, and it'll prove that Jesus was 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 God's son when a person has a vibrant, powerful relationship with him. Just as God and his son is one, so also can I be one in my relationship and my fellowship with them. That's prayer. By the way, let me just say, grown men don't mind talking with God. We may not last like asking directions or going to the doctor. We men not may not show a lot of affection like we should. But when we get alone with God, Christian men weep, laugh, sing, and talk to God heart to heart. We're not a, a ashamed to tell God with words that we love him. We don't mind telling him that. We raise our hands and surrender to his authority over our lives. That's what prayer is. Prayer is grown men. Now, I know ladies usually can pray a whole lot easier than men. I, 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 I know that. And I sure pray that that's true in our church. But wow, Jesus seems to want men to pray. Real men used to do it. Used to pray through each and every day. They had to. They didn't have anybody else to look to. And we need real men to do it again, where we fellowship and walk with and talk with God. Secondly, to pray doesn't only mean to fellowship with God. It means to worship God. <clears throat> you know, Jesus honored his father. Jesus didn't walk around like he was the head honcho. No, he said, everything I'm doing, I'm doing my father's will. He honored and he worshiped and he put God high. And prayer is worship. Go to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's unpack that for a second. Thou art worthy. Worthy means you're worthy, you're, you're, you're worthy of worship to receive from me all glory and all honor and all power. That's what he deserves from me. I give him all authority over my life, all power over my life. I give him all the honor. Anything that good happens in my life came from him. And all glory, I want all attention on him. That's worship. And, you know, there's one last thing there. Unpack the last part. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Do I bring any pleasure to God? If, if, if I look at my life and I think of how much grief I brought to my parents, and then I compare my relationship with my Father in heaven, I wonder how much grief I brought to him. I'd rather bring him pleasure. And that, that's what I was saved to do. And so when I get to pray... I'm actually trying to please him. I'm trying to, to give him all the glory that is due him. Worship is you and I looking up to heaven and thanking God for everything. 
good and bad, every moment of every day, every blessing and every problem. And always remembering all the good things that have happened in your life and all the things that he's done for you. Honor God. He's the one in charge. You might as well tell him thank you. I do that to officers a lot. I'll go up to a Garda and I'll just say thank you for your service. Now, they usually just look at me because they're wondering where that's coming from. And I like to honor them. I say that to, to various different people I can think of. When I'm around somebody, I think whether a nurse, anybody who's doing an incredible amount of effort, a great sacrifice to themselves sometimes, a great risk, I tell them, thank you for your service. I want to honor you. And that's very important. But what about God? I want to honor him. I want to give him worship. Um, so um, worship God. Bow your head, close your eyes, just start worshiping Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of all the lords in the world. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the source of every good, perfect gift. Every good thing in your life came from Him. Just hold on to Him for a little while. When you get to prayer, hold on to Him. Sit at His feet like Mary did, and just worship him and thank him for being your Savior. To prayer, third means confessing our stupidity and our sins on a quick basis. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, don't let, man, don't let things go on too long before you own up to your sins. See, if there's one thing that ruins your prayer life, it's our sin. It's our disobedience. It's our attitudes. It's our actions, the things that we do. And when you go to prayer, you'll find it dead until you're willing to immediately stop and say, Lord, I need to deal with these things and get them right. Because I want my prayer to be something like Jesus's was. So go to 1 John. We're in Revelation. Go back a few pages. Go find 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. <clears throat> prayer is how you get right with God. You can't get right with God accidentally. You got to talk to God about it. It's called confessing. Now, confessing means admitting it. That's what confession is. And you don't do it to some priest. You do it to, you do it to God. Look at uh, 1 John 1, 9. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, notice it's plural because there's more than usually just one. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't, he doesn't wait for you to, to work out your, your sin. He doesn't wait for you to do something to make up for your sin. He wants you to confess it. He wants you to take time in your prayer to start to say, you know, Lord, I'm wrong, and I know where I'm wrong, and I know what I've been doing that's wrong, and I want it to, I want it to be forgiven and gone out of my life, and I repent of it right now. That's, that's part of prayer. And if you're quick to only worship and talk to Jesus and never deal with your sin, then it falls on deaf ears. David says, I know that, that if I regard, if I love or protect any iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So you think about that next time you go down to pray. Why don't you quickly off the bat say, Lord, I think there's some things between us. And I'm sorry. I want to get them right. And then I, whatever I need to get right with my wife or my 
husband or my kids or, or another Christian. I want to get it right so that I'm right with you. And that's what happens at prayer. Prayer brings you to that place where you want to get right. So that's a good thing. Listen to Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 9. I'll tell you what for time. No, I'll say that for next week. I'm going to do number four. All right. So, so far, I've said just a couple of simple things. These are very simple, but prayer means fellowship with God. Jesus fellowshiped with his Father. Prayer means to worship God. Prayer also means confessing our stupidity and our sins. Now, Jesus never had to confess his sins, but I do, and you do too. So don't neglect that. But number four, prayer is wrestling with the will of God to the point where you're, eight, where you're willing to accept it. Let me say it again. Prayer is wrestling with the will of God to the point where you're able to accept it. Do you remember how in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus struggled in prayer with God's will? So he did, didn't he? No one finds the will of God easy. No one finds the will of God easy. I have never found anybody who said, yeah, I've never had a problem with the will of God. So <clears throat> join the club. Um, Jonah found, uh, let me just make this statement here. In that time of prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus surrendered to the will of God, didn't he? It was in that time of prayer. And everyone finds all the grace we need to do the will of God in our time of prayer with God. Jonah founded the needed grace to do the will of God only when he prayed in the belly of the whale. You ought to go back and read the book of Jonah. Jonah never found any ability to do the will of God until in the belly of the whale, he finally said, you win. And he prayed from the, from the midst of that fish. And the great apostle Paul, he found the ability to put up with his infirmities only when he spent time in prayer, wrestling with God's will and finding infinite grace. Number five, ask for help. Prayer is asking for help. That's what it means. Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. So what does prayer actually mean? Well, it means asking. Uh, throughout throughout uh, English history, you know, the language, um, you know, they would use the word pray as a, as a statement of, of asking and pleading. <clears throat> because that's what we do when we talk to God. We are asking. We're almost begging. All right, go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? It's not like, don't you dare ask unless you've got all your ducks in a row. No, 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 no. Ask. Come on, I, I invite you to, to just ask anything. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek for me and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now, this is usually the reason why most people pray. It's to get help. You know, to, to get a need met. Um, I, I think most people can pretty well take care of themselves. But more and more people, if you noticed, are cared for by the government so they never learn to trust God. And I'm just going to get on a point here for a minute, and I'm going to say we're well taken care of by our government 
and so we don't pray. We have everything we want. And according to Revelation chapter 3, it's, uh, it says that we, our church, our church age, is we're miserable, we're naked, and we're blind. And that's because we, we, we have need of nothing. When in reality, we have need of everything. We are, we are totally lured into the deceptive lie that our government is our God. And the Irish entitlement system, it was started with the desire to be a benefit to people who couldn't work and people who were in desperate need. But it has become a system of entitlement called socialism that takes care of people from cradle to grave, and there's no need for God. You know what the truth is? We're the most miserable people ever. I believe it is wrong for our government to have been allowed to have taken the place of God. We need to get back. I don't care who, whatever, what is going on outside of our walls, of our homes and our church and our lives. But in my life and in our church, we need to pray. We need to pray for what we need. We need to beg God for what we need. We need to get his help because without his help, we can do nothing. And, you know, by the way, we need to start instead of leaving our children to the to the state and letting them raise our children instead of letting counselors be their their guide and letting their friends be their source of information we need to start praying for our children like never before uh you know maybe they wouldn't be so rebellious if every night we grabbed them by the hand we held their hand tightly and we bowed our head with them we prayed over the things of their of their day we didn't just pray a a repetitive prayer, but we prayed for their needs. We prayed for their heart. We prayed for our finances visibly and with them. We prayed for our problems and we let them see God answer our prayers. Maybe that would uh, save them from a lot of rebellion and hard hearts. Maybe they might sense the hand of God around them. You know, I found this very hard for a teenager to rebel from his parents who pray with him about everything. Very hard. So pray for what your family needs. Ask. There's nothing you can't ask for, dear friend. Everything comes from God anyway. And pray for each other. I mean, pray for each other. We've had enough needs over the last few weeks. Uh, we need to, uh, I think God's waking us up saying pray, because I don't know, um, uh, things may go better, things may go worse, who knows? But shouldn't we be people of prayer? And don't forget to pray for your enemies. Lastly, this may be the best part, at least alongside the fellowship. And go to 1 Peter 5, 7, our last verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Prayer is so liberating. You know, when you spend time in prayer, you, you forget where you are. When you start giving to him into his hands, giving into his strength and his abilities, you give into his wisdom, you, you just give everything to him. When you do that, your heart and your mind is lifted from the burden of that moment. And, and the burdens of life just, just disappear, at least for, for a while. 
you and I can actually throw into the hands of our loving Savior every sorrow, every burden, every worry, and every care, casting all your care, and then you can rest, knowing that he's going to work all things out for good. That's, that's why we pray. I mean, I may work my tail off. I may just, just flat out work straight out so nothing goes wrong, and there's no guarantee, man. Uh, it'll, it'll, uh, as far as I know, I've done my best, but until I've prayed, I, I can't tell you whether it's going to work out or not. I know that once I've prayed, I know it's all going to work out right because I've given it to God. That doesn't mean I don't do anything, but while I'm doing my best, while I'm working my, I'm doing the work of the ministry, I had better have first spent time in prayer and carried it through in prayer. So real simple there. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the benefits of praying. But right now, the reality of it is we need to fellowship with God. We need to take time to just worship God in our, in our time, where we get away and, and we're quiet, whether we go for a walk or something and just talk to God. Tell Him He's awesome. Tell Him you love Him. Uh, confess your sins. It seems like such an out-of-date time. No, no, no. Our sins are so built up, we need to do some repenting on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We, you're going to have to wrestle with the will of God. You're never going to accept it until you've prayed about it. And uh, ask for help. No matter what you need, pray about it. Pray first before you do anything else. You may have to buy something. You may have to do something, but pray about it first. Lord, should I? Uh, Lord, would you make sure I get enough money for this? Um, Lord, help me to trust you. I'm going to pray about these things. And then cast every worry and every trouble, every burden onto him. Do it before you do anything else. In your day, listen. I, I never saw Jesus ever, ever uh, defeated. I watched the life of Jesus Christ. He walked day by day with joy. Yes, he was a man acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows, but he wasn't, he wasn't a sorrowful man. He was somebody who had joy. Why? Because he prayed. Because he had the right priority. Because he got everything he needed every day from his Father. He was enough. And we need that ourselves in our, in our lives. Father, bless what we've heard today. Give us a burden for a sweet hour of prayer. That we would have a desire to... Um, uh, to give ourselves continually first to prayer. Lord, before we go to work, before we fix breakfast, lunch, or dinner, before we um, deal with any big problems or small, God, I beg of you, teach us to pray. Because there's a lot of work to do, all the work of the ministry, the preaching of the gospel, the, the winning of souls, the discipling of Christians. God, there's so much work to do. We're not going to be able to ever do it without that first thing, continually to prayer. Lord, is there somebody here who's got, a, um, got an aching heart knowing that they don't know you, they'd like to know you, there's emptiness on the inside. There's never been a moment where they cried out to you and said, God, have mercy on me and save me. I pray today they would do that. 41 years ago, I cried out to you. I didn't know I could. I tried to pray. It was all just 
words. It didn't go anywhere. It never meant anything. But that one night at 9.45, Lord, I cried out to you, and I asked you to save me, and I knew you answered me, and every burden was lifted. Lord, the, the joy and the, the salvation that came to my heart, Lord, I pray they would come into somebody's heart today. Lord, I pray that we would take prayer seriously because we've got to take the work of the ministry of the word seriously as well. Lord, help us to have the right balance and to do it right. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.